0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com It's a great kavod to speak on behalf of an organization. It's really a movement. It's a movement that is unique and that this is the movement of the G'dayle Yisrael. And at this time of the year, when Chazal tell us very surprisingly... If we could pinpoint, and there are many causes of the Chorban. The the and Shabbos says something very interesting. The Gemara and Shabbos says, Yerushalayim, shabizu That Yerushalayim was destroyed because they weren't mechabed, the chachamim. And tonight we have the opportunity to show our allegiance, our loyalty to the G'dayle Yisrael. You know, there's an interesting minug. Minug Yisrael, of course, is we don't partake of basar during the nine days. Interestingly, the Aruch HaShukhan says this is not just a minug. This is a doyrisa. The Aruch Hashulchan says. non sivkatan chav Not eating meat in the nine days is doyrisa because it's already hundreds of years that Klal Yisrael has not partake of meat during the nine days. It has the status of a neder. And mistakenly, many people think it's a, a practice of avelos. There's nothing to do with Avelos. and Avel's let so have Basar. Nothing to do with being an Avel. Our Chashokhan says because at this time of the year, because of the Chorbin, there was Bitul Karbonois. The Karbonois stopped being brought, and therefore we have to commemorate the bittel Karbonois. But amazingly, there is a way to be Makriv Karbonois today. How you Makriv Karbonois today? The Chida writes in the Nachal Kidumen, Parshas Vizois Sabracha. Amim, Har Yikro. Amim. Amim are the Hamoyinam. Har refers to the Chachme Yisrael. Har, Chidash says, is the Rashi Har stands for Harav Rabbeinu. Amim, when the Hamoyinam, Har, when they call out to the Chachme Yisrael, kavod, the Ribbon reckons it, Sham Yizbuchu Zibche Tzadek. The Ribbon reckons it like a carbon. Oh, so if being mechabed, the chach Yisrael, is considered like a carbon. So now we understand, shot in the Pasuk, So now we read the end of the Pasuk, It's reckoned like a carbon. So here we are, we're in the nine days, we're commemorating the bittel Karbonos, but we've all gathered tonight, to be a makr, mock- to be makriv, of a HaKadosh and that carbon is to be mechabed, the Chachme Yisrael, who really have united and galvanized behind this institution, this organization. May tonight's event be oila Lefneha haMakayim, should be a nachasrach lefanov, b'rshutz, chashvera bonim, Rav Surotskin, Rav Shabbos, Rav Echeifetz, Yedidi, Rabbi Aram, I thank you very much for uh, inviting me to uh, join you this evening. And of course we thank uh, tonight's host, Rabbi for opening up his home. May tonight's gathering be Le'Iloi Nishmas, Rabbi Yosef Ben Siyon, ben Rabbi Yaakov Zev. May be a chus for all of us and all of our mishpachas. So I'm sure you've been coming to Lev Lach and Parlor meetings for many years, and you know the whole deal. You know what it's all about. You've heard all the stories. I'm here tonight to give a little bit of a, a different perspective. I would like to give you a historical perspective. I want to take you back to the end of the 15th century. Rabbi Avram Saba, Avram Saba was one of the Gurushe Svarad. He's the author of the Tzvar Hamor on Chumash, Eshkel Hakoyfer on Esther, Perke Avos, and he's one of the Gurushe Svarads who was chased out in 1492. And he runs away to Aporto, Portugal. And he had just completed a commentary, a handwritten commentary, on Hamish HaChemchei on the Megillois, on Perkei Avois. And he gets word from King Emmanuel, the King of Portugal, that every last Jew is going to be thrown out of the country. But that was not all. They told the Rabbi Avram, that Rabbi Avram had a very extensive library, he had hundreds of manuscripts of Gemaras, of Rishonim. His entire library was going to be destroyed and burned publicly in Lisbon. But at least, Rabbi Avram still had a personal treasure. Namely, he still had his personal Chidu Shei his commentary on Torah and on the Megillais. And one day, his friends told him, you know, they saw you. Take your manuscripts, your personal manuscripts, and, and hide them in the corner of your home. If you aren't caught with your manuscripts, they will burn you and your Svarim at the stake. So Rebbe Avram had no choice. He had to take all his Chidushet Torah, and he had to bury it under an olive tree. He never saw it again. He comes to uh, Morocco with his son Yitzchak, and the, the Sefer Tzorah Amar was written from memory, Rebbe Avram uh, Saba had to recall from memory all of his chidrushim. But that was not the extent of the suffering of Rabbi Avram Saba. Because King Emmanuel of Portugal had another surprise in store for the Jews of Portugal, and that is, every single child under the age of 18 was forcibly kidnapped, baptized, and converted by the Church. Rabbi Avram's two children were taken away, he never saw them again. They were converted to Christianity, but they were not the only children. Every single child in the entire country of Portugal was taken away from their parents. Their parents never saw them again. There weren't a few exceptions. There were no exceptions. It wasn't difficult to raise children It wasn't statistically unlikely. It was downright impossible. It never happened. Nobody... Nobody had a next generation of Jewish observant children in Portugal. What would Claudius Roll look like today if we still had those tens of thousands of children? 19th century, Tsarist Russia, 1801 to 1855, the Cantonists. So Jewish children were conscripted in the Russian army for no less than 25 years. And every community had official chappers. This is not a job that you would want. The job of a chapper was he had to provide a quota of children to the government. And sometimes the rich would pay off the chapper to uh, take other children instead of their own. And children were drafted from the age of 18 and sometimes as young as 12. And sometimes the chappers would take 8-year-old children. And the conditions were so harsh that the intent was to force the child to embrace Christianity. What do you think a child who was taken away from his parents at age 8 would look like at age 33? Never having had a pair of tzitzes to fill in or learning a word in the yeshiva. What do you think he would look like? It wasn't unlikely for somebody whose child was conscripted not to be observant it wasn't likely for them to be Jewish anymore. (laughs) Read to you two accounts. Cantonist Zelig Lazarov Greenfield. He writes, I didn't want to convert to Christianity. I was born a Jew, I wanted to die a Jew. I cried and I begged, but they continued to torture me. Once the sergeant hit me so hard over the head... I laid unconscious, I woke up in the hospital, over my bed it said, Your name is Peter. I had discovered that I had already been baptized. Dmitry Kaufman writes, He had been beaten on the hands, needles were inserted all the way up his finger, up his arm, until he agreed to embrace Christianity. One third of Jewish Cantonist recruits converted, never returning to Judaism. At the very least, tens if not hundreds of thousands of Jewish children were lost forever. What would we look like today if we still had all of those children? So there's a Jew in Beverly Hills. His name is Spiegel. Spiegel, it's an ungarish name. Seventy-five years ago he went with his wife and five-year-old son to Auschwitz. He came out, him and his wife, they came out alone. No children anymore. He comes to the United States, he goes to Los Angeles, he's a su- successful entrepreneur, he's a multimillionaire. He owns real estate. He wants to make a memorial for his five year old son. So he goes to Yad Vashem, he says, I want to make a memorial for my son, but not just my son, I want to make a memorial for the 1.5 million Jewish children who were exterminated, not by the Nazis, by the German people. He gave them $4.5 million to build a museum, and since then he gave them another $10 million to expand and to endow it. 1.5 million Jewish children. By the way, that's more than the people in this room, you know that could you even begin to extrapolate 1.5 million Jewish children? Imagine MetLife Stadium again and again and again and again and you're not even halfway there. And if you go to this memorial, one would be quite surprised to experience this maimed. You walk into the room, maybe 8 to 10 stories tall, about 50 times the size of this room. And the room is pitch black. It's palpably black. It's so dark, you can't even put one foot in front of the other. You could, you could feel the darkness, the Yamesh Eish And after a moment, your eyes begin to adjust the immense darkness. And in the middle of this vast room of darkness there's one candle that is lit. And by the genius of the designer, and the brilliance of the architect, through reflections and mirrors, this one candle, this one pinpoint of light, is mirrored to 1.5 million pinpoints of light. And so all you see are the specks of light in the all-pervasive darkness. And there's a voice over it. And all the voice does is it recites names. Hillel Cohen, three years old, Vilna. Miriam Goldberg, seven years old, Sarajevo. Names, 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 until you can't stand it anymore and you want to run out of the room. What if we had today, what if Klal had today, in Tavshin Pealef, those 1.5 million Jewish children, we would be double and triple the size that we are today. Rabbi Beryl Wein likes to tell over the story. In 1946, he's 11 years old, and his father says, Beryl Beryl Wein, he was a ben-yachet, he says, we're going to the airport, we're going to Chicago Midway Airport. What's in the airport? A great rabbi is coming. Which rabbi? Rabbi Isaac Halevi Herzog, the chief rabbi of Israel after World War II. And all the distinguished Rabbonim and all the Rabbeim, and all the Masifta students, and all the elementary school students, they're all going out to greet Rabbi Herzog. And Rabbi Herzog was a, an aristocratic personality, and he comes off the jet, in a shiny top hat and he's holding a silver cane and a Tanakh and he alit from the plane and the whole city escorts Rabbi Herzog back to the Skokie Yeshiva at the time all 200 Bachrim of the Midwest were there (laughs) 1946 and Rabbi Herzog gave a 45 minute Pelpel share in Yiddish and then he turns to the boys and he speaks to them in English And Rav Herzog, by the way, was a rabbi in Ireland, in Dublin, so he spoke with a slight Irish brogue, and he said as follows, I've just returned from Rome, where I went to visit Pope Pius XII, I guess Lashon Saginar. And I had with me the names of 10,000 Jewish boys and girls, whose parents had placed them with Christian families, monasteries, churches, because they thought they would never survive the war and this was the only chance to save their children. And Rav Herzog unrolled the long list of 10,000 boys and girls. He said, Pope, these are our children. We never thought we would get them back, but here we are, we're alive and kicking. Give us back our children right now. You're kidnapping our children. And the Pope flatly refused. The Pope basically slammed the door on his face. The Pope said, our law says, that once a child is baptized, we can never return him to another religion. These 10,000 children have all been baptized. We can never give them back to you. Whereupon, the Pope slams the door on Rav Isaac Halevi Herzog. And what could he do? Rav Herzog is standing there in the auditorium and he breaks down with tremendous emotion. He breaks down crying. This melech, this royal Individual, he breaks down crying like a baby, and Rabbi Wein said he never was so frightened in his life. And this gray man raises his head, and his face is beat red like a lion. And he turns to the crowd and he says, there's nothing that could ever be done for these 10,000 Jewish children. But you, young men, I ask of you, what will you do for the future of the Jewish people? What will you do for the children of Kali Israel? And for me, this was not just a story. Because my grandfather Zechatzak Levracha wrote in his personal memoirs that in the immediate aftermath of the Holocaust, he became the head of the religious department of the joint distribution committee. He was a Polish survivor. And he personally met Rav Herzog, and Rav Herzog told him firstly. Then in forty three and forty four, he met with the Pope and he asked the Pope to put a halt to the crematory and the gas chambers and the Pope said no. And then 1945 he asked the Pope for the children back and the Pope also refused. And Rabbi Wein said we all passed by Rav Herzog and he looked each one of us in the eye and he shook our hands and he said did you hear what I said? Did you understand what I said? what will you do for the children of the Jewish people? If only we had these 10,000 Jewish children back, what would we look like today? If only we had these 1.5 million Jewish children who were destroyed in the Holocaust, what what would we look like today? So I ask of you, what will you do For the future of the Jewish people. Can we ever get these children back? Will they ever be available to us? Where do we start? Where do we even begin? We start today. We start this evening. We start with Lev Laachem. Do you know amazingly how many children there are today in Eretz Yisrael who don't know Shema Yisrael, who don't know Avraham Avinu, who painfully don't even know Avinu Shabbat Shamayim? Do you know the numbers? Do you know the statistics? you know how many children there are? 1.5 million Jewish children in Eretz Yisrael who don't know Avinu Shabbat Shamayim. That's the statistic. That's the number. It's not an exaggeration. It's the accurate figure. It's the same numbers. 50 years ago, money could just build a museum to commemorate... Children that were lost forever. Today, money could get the children back again. Today, with the help of Lev Le'achim, money could get back 1.5 million Jewish children. Not in Eastern Europe, not in Nebraska, in Artsenu Akadosha, in Yerushalayim, in Tveria. 1.5 million children. What goes around comes around. It used to be, for a million bucks, what could you do? You could build a museum with candles and mirrors and voices. And today, for a million dollars, you could buy back a hundred children. When we say Lev La'achem is changing the face of Eretz Yisrael, this is not allegorical. Yair Benyamin, Lilienthal, a Jewish teenager, before Lev La'achem. Harav Yair Binyamin Lilienthal. Mashpia Umanig Bi Yisrael. After Lev La'achem. 50 years ago, a picture like this could be in a museum. Today, this is living, a living Sefer Torah in the Batei Midrashim, affecting the future destiny of the Jewish people. This is what we're talking about. It's a rare historic opportunity. These opportunities don't come by that often. It never came ba- uh, by until this year, until today, until our generation. Not in Portugal, not in Spain, not in Russia, not in the Holocaust. This is the opportunity the Ribbon Shalom is giving us today. The You know, today everybody's worried about...